Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. We are back. It's been a hiatus. It's been the summer. We've been busy. Rob is still busy. So I am your host, as always, Tim Whitaker, joined here with my co-host, Jordan Renault. Hello. And another Renault is on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, I would say it's been a while. Uh, Jesse Renault is with us. Hello, Jesse. Hello. Thanks for having me. I think you were one of my first guests I ever interviewed like yes. three or four years ago on the podcast. It's been a while. Yeah. We talked about worship. I might <laughs> disagree with everything I said back then. I don't know. <laughs> well, that Probably is not. kind of the point. So, yes, I understand. <laughs> it's great to have you on. Um, yeah, great, great to have you on for sure. Really good stuff. Good to be here. Um, Rob is on vacation. He Or he's... I think he's on vacation or he's slammed with work, something like that. But the summer <laughs> schedule throws everyone for a loop. I mean, I'm all over the place and I feel like we haven't podcasted in a couple of weeks. So we've been kind of behind Jordan. Um, yeah, it happens. And I'm sorry to our listeners, all uh, like 15 of them. I think we've grown from 10 to 15. So, <laughs> um, it's been a few weeks. Someone a 50% actually increase. Well, someone messaged us asking, when are you going to podcast again? I was, wow. I, I didn't know that. I was touched. I was honored. The like people want attention. Yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're sorry for the hiatus. It's been just hard getting schedules to sync up and um, getting things to work properly. But we are here now. We are ready to go. We have a great topic. I think this will be a good one. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, today, we are going to be discussing Josh Harris and mm. what has recently happened with him. So let me give a very brief kind of overview here of who Joshua Harris is, why he's a person um, that is worth noting, and why we're talking about him. So um, in, I think it was the late 90s, Joshua Harris wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was 21 at the time. Ago. Yeah. How long ago? 22 years ago. Okay, 22 years ago. So quite a bit. Yeah, so 97 then. Um, and he um, wrote this book, and he was 21 at the time. And it's a book about pretty much fighting against um, culture's view of sex and dating and advocating for um, doing it God's way, so to speak, um, and you know, courting instead of dating um, and remaining pure um, until you get married is the general concept of the book. I didn't read the book directly myself. I read a little bit of it when it was popular. And I read some more excerpts uh, more recently. So he wrote this book and the book went the 90s version of viral pretty much in Christian <laughs> culture. Uh, it took off. It sold millions of copies. Uh, um, and what we now call purity culture was kind of um, it wasn't birthed from that, but it was really, um, it was like pouring gasoline on the fire. I think it really inflamed that church culture of, you know, being, uh, sexually pure before you get married, um, dating, not dating, but courting, which usually what I found to be the biggest difference is that when you're courting, 
you're on the way to marriage and also the parents are much more involved where dating maybe is, is a little more of like you're you're more one-on-one um it's not so serious so it might it might not end in a marriage relationship and it's more of like let's see how this goes and kind of go from there i think that's a fair you know summarization of the of the two so his book went huge um it, it was big and then uh, about i think a year or two ago maybe two years ago um after a long time he came out and pretty much had another documentary that came out um that said i survived i kissed dating goodbye <laughs> and it was kind of him talking to people um who read his book and actually did a lot more harm than good um and then also some people too who got a lot of help from his book and then recently it came out that he is divorcing his wife and he um according to how how did he summarize it he didn't say that he renounced Christianity, but he, what he says in his Instagram post is he has undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian. I am not a Christian. So he pretty much comes out and says, I'm no longer a Christian by how I've defined it. And I don't really know where I'm at and I'm on this new journey. And of course that caused Christian leaders to start renouncing Josh Harris and someone wrote an open letter to him and we'll get into all that today. So that's kind of what brings us to 2019 to this date, to this episode is discussing what went wrong with Joshua Harris. Did I miss anything gentlemen? I don't think so. I think that's a good general contour of it. I mean, he was a pastor in the middle there. I don't, I don't know if you said that. Yes, that's true. He passed um, for a long time. I guess he started uh, pastoring the church when he was 30. And he was pastor for like 11 years or something. And then, yeah, this the first thing he did was he left in 2015. He left his church um, to do what he said was to uh, expand his understanding of Christianity and to go to seminary, which he went to Regent College, which is where our mutual friend uh, Paul went. Paul and Page. So he was there for a couple of years and that's what that's, I, I think he's still in Vancouver and that's what kind of led to where he's at now. I thought it was crazy that he was 21 when he wrote that book. <laughs> I know, which I, I think, I feel like I've heard that before, but in looking at this stuff again, it came up and I was like, wow, that's really young. And I don't, he wasn't married at the time, was he? No, no, nope. Yeah. So like that first book that he wrote, like on, dating and <laughs> preparing for marriage and stuff was like all before he had much experience with that. It feels well, like and he had come out of, I was, I did read the book years ago and I don't remember. I couldn't find it. Actually. I was trying to find it, but I probably <laughs> threw it out. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if I did or not, but I couldn't find it. So I do have his second book still actually, uh, which was about his, the story of him meeting his wife Right, uh, right. But he only, it was only like two or three years later. So he had just gotten married. So I feel like that's pretty relevant context, even for him and what he wrote when he did, specifically just that he was pretty darn young and inexperienced. Yeah. And he had just come out, apparently, of a pretty, what he described before he wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, a season of like, dating around a whole bunch and like kind of coming to some sort of awakening. I don't know if 
know, he grew up, I know, in like a big, his parents were big in the homeschooling movement uh, and Christian homeschooling movement in particular. You guys ever read that book back in the early 2000s called Do Hard Things? And that title sounds really familiar. That was no. actually written by his two twin brothers. Yes, not his and that twin. was endorsed by Chuck Norris. That's why I remember it. <laughs> Chuck Norris, that's the great awesome. one, endorsed that book. That's all I remember about that book. I That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't remember that detail, but I would read it because of that. <laughs> I almost did because of that. <laughs> if he had endorsed Josh, Josh Harris's books, I would have been like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it is an interesting – Yeah. I remember when the book hit, I remember all about that. And it is funny because like I went through some of the quotes that uh, you can find online from the book and it, it sounds, again, this is looking back now, right? In the moment, it's always different, but it sounds like a 21 year old male who has no experience in marriage or any serious relationship wrote a book about the formula, but had to do it. I'm going to say quote unquote, God's way, which is really Christian culture's current interpretation way uh, <laughs> of how to respond to this cultural idea of dating. Um, and even in that, a more conservative view, you know, kind of thing. So a lot of his views were just about doing things to serve God better. And honestly, a lot of his stuff wasn't even that. I mean, a lot of the quotes I read, I'm like, okay, I think that this actually is pretty right. healthy. Some of this stuff is really good. It wasn't like the book was, you know, terrible or just not, not, um, not helpful in certain ways, but it was obviously definitely a very formula driven book of like, Hey, if you put in right. a B, you're going to be guaranteed to get C, which I think he kind of talks about too, with his marriage as well. Like they just kind of put the formula in and then expected that, okay, we're going to have this result. And now it's, I think it's, I mean, they were married for a while, I think over a decade. Um, um, him yeah. and his wife. it was a while. I mean, they got, yeah, about 20 years, I think actually. Because yeah. he wrote the second book like two years after the first one, so, and they were married at that point. So, but the crazy thing is, it is a good. I have thought about this in my own life as well, where um, if you're not careful, you can think that if you just find another Christian, you're guaranteed success. Like I remember for a while. When I was younger, you're talking was, about in a relationship, marriage, relationship yes, or a marriage. Yes. In okay. a relationship, yeah, if, if I was looking for someone to date, if right. they were a Christian, I just kind of assumed we're automatically compatible. Right. <laughs> so, oh, they're yeah. a Christian. That's already rare. We must be fully compatible because we have the same assumptions about our faith and about the world. Therefore, we will have no problems. Um, <laughs> and obviously, that isn't true. And I think I got that partly from just filling in the blanks, but also probably from how I grew up in the, in the faith tradition that I grew up in was so big on like, marry a Christian, marry a Christian, marry a Christian, that I was never kind of like told like what else to look for <laughs> regarding like healthy emotional state or compatibility or, you know, if this is a healthy relationship and not an unhealthy one on top right. of the even Christian. your understanding of what Christianity is. Totally. I the mean, the priorities that you have for in that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that world that Harris is in, I kind of, I think all three of us to a degree kind of grew up in. And again, it's very rigid. There isn't a lot of flexibility with certain things. And there are just certain assumptions that if you question or that if you don't have figured out, you just have to kind of take and just go with it. And one of them is, I think, you know, this like spouse thing of like how you handle dating and how you handle purity. And I think it is important to mention now before we even get into it, that 
we still would hold to certain assumptions. I would still hold that waiting to have sex until you're married probably is the best way to do it. I, I, I'm grateful I was able to wait um, for sure. So I'm not advocating for not doing that. I'm, certain right. I'm, and I'm certainly not advocating for being reckless and just sleeping around with people uh, to just test drive the car, so to speak, right? I think that's really unhealthy. So just because maybe I'm pushing against one extreme doesn't mean I'm jumping to the other extreme. Of, right. uh, what? <laughs> that's not, that's not what that means. You go there, Tim. <laughs> just so we're really clear, you know, and if there's some young teenage boy listening to this, this is not licensed. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, that's really the thing here is that, um, it's so easy to jump and we've, I know I've talked with you guys about this before, but it's so easy to swing from one extreme to the other. Um, and I mean, probably certain people are more prone to that than others, but that even seems to be a little bit of what he may be going through now, but even kind of backing up and just kind of looking more at like the culture he was clearly in and not just growing up, but he clearly continued into it. I know a decent amount about the church he was the pastor of and that whole ministry. Cause that was part of uh, sovereign grace churches. It was actually yeah. a flagship church and he took over from the founding pastor um, who I'm pretty familiar with. So that, I mean, there's a lot of things I admire about them and about that church movement. And yet there's also some things about it that clearly seem to at least border on uh, I don't know, us kind of, it seems to be kind of a form of like soft legalism where they're not necessarily saying you must live this way, but this is almost what I've even seen in his book. And what he said is that he's, he's, pr he's promoting this very, you know, legalism is like creating rules around the rules. You know, God says certain things and legalism is saying, no, well, we're going to say, we're going to go even further and we're going to add our own things on top of that. And sometimes that, that is a, uh, People do that, Christians do that out of a desire to protect people. And I think that's why he did it too. It's like, well, if, why would you even get close to that line? You know, so let's build fences around the fences to keep people from even getting close to uh, the, what the line that you shouldn't cross is. However, the problem is, even if you present that in a way where you're like, because I don't think there's anything wrong with that personally. Like if you have convictions about that, about some issue and you've kind of build fences for yourself around it, like say, you know, the good example would be like if you have an addiction problem of whatever kind, but say you have an alcohol addiction problem and you say, I'm because of that, I'm not even going to go to hang out in a place where I know they have alcohol because I don't trust myself. Like, sure, that's a great thing for you personally to do and desire, you know, to help you to live the way you want to live and feel like you should. Um, but it seems like uh, even with that book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that he's kind of, uh, he's doing that for sure, like building up all these extra parameters around kind of the core thing that maybe we would agree with him on. Like, yes, like you said, you it's better. It certainly seems from the Bible to be God's ideal to not have sex outside of marriage. However, he's building up all these walls and fences around that to not even get close to it. And even if he gives the caveat of saying, um, you know, you need, because he does this even in his next book, which I skimmed through again today, uh, you know, you, you need to figure out kind of where these lines are for yourself. But the whole book is full of all these lines and guardrails and boundaries. Um, and so even if you do that, you give that caveat, you're still 
you're basically still promoting this whole way of doing things as if it is the right way. That's the effect of it. And that seems to be the effect. Because even like you can read I Kissed Dating Goodbye and even probably agree with a lot of the principles. But then when you hear about stories of where churches even took that, I mean, I, I was reading some stuff just in the wake of all this about um, churches that basically adopted this as a church-wide policy, you know, churches that where the youth ministry didn't allow any dating, you know, uh, mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, it went, and then when it becomes, as soon as it becomes that, then, and it seems to encourage that, then all of a sudden you are in an extremely legalistic situation where you are creating all these rules around the rules and you're totally like all legalism. You're totally uh, missing then the actual point. Well, and then what happens is you grow up and you become an adult where, and you start thinking about these rules that you were taught as a kid that now are intertwined with what it means to be saved or be a Christian and you find out, or you kind of come to the conclusion that like some of these rules are crazy and actually maybe more damaging than helpful, then you end up falling away from the whole thing because you're like, this is ridiculous because it was so intertwined with the actual gospel or the actual Jesus that we read in scripture. So there's always connections that are made when these over-the-top rules, and well, I would say whenever we turn anything, but in this case Christianity, into a rule book of just do the formula, you're going to run into major problems because life is not a formula. So when your formula fails because life kicks in and you do you do end up sleeping with your girlfriend or you end up whatever, doing something, that, doing something, something that you regret, and now there's no grace because you've been taught that the rules are here and you broke the rules and now you have to get punished. It's very anti what it's trying with what the Christian faith would, would promote in the first place anyway. And I think guys like Josh Harris and a lot of other people, we, we all have these people in our lives, are living proof of what happens when you systematize something that shouldn't be so systematized. I mean, this is a different discussion. Rob and I have talked about this on with Jordan that we're even for ourselves learning for the first time in our life that the Bible is not a rule book, that it's a narrative and that there's life lessons to be learned, but it's not read like, okay, the Bible is not read to, uh, not written to a Western audience telling us how to live life rule by rule. It's just not what it is, but we make it that way by, by pulling these verses and then weaving these like principles that we think the Bible is saying that maybe it's not saying that way. And so I think what happens is you end up doing a lot of damage to people because these kids grow up in this culture. And I think all of us have grown up this way a little bit. And we have this moment where where we're like, well, what do I really think? And what happens if I break the rule? Like we're, and you feel really guilty. I mean, so I just think some of this stuff can be very damaging because there's no, there's no place for life to happen. And we all know that life is messy. The Bible is messy. It's a book full of people failing. That's what the Bible is over and over again. People making humongous mistakes and God still working through them. All that stuff is there, but we kind of rob it from that. So I agree, Jesse, you know, I I don't think that like these principles are bad principles at the heart. I think that a lot of them can be wise. And I I know that, that they come from people who want to do good and want to help people. But sometimes people just have to learn on their own and actually fail. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but sometimes that's what needs to happen before you can really learn certain things. Um, and it's important. I, I think we're seeing that with Joshua Harris here. I think he's finally realizing, like, what do I even believe? Like, how does this Jesus right. thing really work? Because I grew up in this culture of rules, 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 
and like systems and formulas and what God am I even, am I even believing it? You know, and obviously from the response we're seeing, I the Christian culture is not surprising me with, with its response, <laughs> pretty much. You know, so it's very interesting. It is, yeah. When he um kind of came out, not the most recent stuff, but like the when he did the what was it called the the documentary that you were talking about. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I survived. I, I oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on. Was that? I mean, yeah. was that kind of what he was saying through all of that? Is the kind of the like the stuff that you're saying here? Well, just I like, think that documentary. I I didn't actually watch it yet, but my understanding of it is it's actually it was produced by him, by this other by this girl actually who was kind of a victim of the whole <laughs> security <laughs> culture and his you know you know and so she ended up meeting him when he moved to Vancouver at just the right time when she was wanting to make this documentary anyway. Uh, and so they ended up doing it together because he was kind of in this process uh. of questioning it all. So I think, I believe the documentary is mostly uh, him interviewing and talking with people who have been negatively affected by his book and just li asking genuine questions, listening to that. I mean, he's, I think he's very, comes across very humble in the movie that he's just wanting to hear and learn. And so that seems to be very much a big part of his journey probably over the last couple of years was going through that experience to see all these people that were affected by what he wrote. Well, one yeah. of the big things I think is important to note here is that when you grow up in any specific worldview that teaches you that there, that any other worldview is wrong and sinful and not right. And then one day you start meeting people from other worldviews who you've impacted in a negative way, who have a different perspective on life. It starts making you wonder and start to, expand the, the reality that there are other people on the planet who are good people who did not grow up how you grew up and still do good things. And some of them are even Christians with totally different worldviews right. about what it means to be a Christian. And I think when you first meet that, it's very jarring because again, think about like just even like the, the, um, the science behind it. If you're a kid, you're being hardwired however you grew up. And so if you're being taught from an early age that there's one way to read and to believe this faith and that everyone else is wrong you just it just becomes in, ingrained into your psyche and so when when that becomes um when, when you become aware that that that's not true and that there's a much bigger world out there it's very like jarring and it makes you kind of go like i gotta i gotta expand i gotta explore this i don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes but clearly there's a bigger world than the little bubble i grew up in that is functioning and is alive. And these are real people with real emotions. And they're not just the other person or they're not, they're not just the other thing that's kind of been just grouped into a, this like other entity, you know, that I'm, I'm trying to fight right. against. There's real humans here. Well, so and he kind of wakes admit, you up. I mean, he admits that. And I think this is, you know, a key thing for Christians to realize a lot of times. I mean, he, not only did he grow up in this one system that was pretty insular he then went into a church setting that was one, I mean, one church setting then for the next 15, 20 years um, that was had a very distinct way of doing things um, and was kind of more insular as well. And that's one of the things he even said when he went, uh, left the church to go to seminary is that he wanted to expand his understanding of Christianity. And I, I see that a lot. Um, I think it's a major problem, especially in evangelical Christianity, kind of just like mainstream evangelical Christianity. So few Christians actually 
recognize uh, that there are that their way of understanding the faith, at least in the outer parts of it, maybe not the core of it, but a lot of people have trouble separating those things. Um, but at least in kind of the, the what it looks like yeah. is probably not representative of most Christians alive today, let alone most Christians throughout history. And the practice of those things too. Oh yeah, well that's especially when it comes to the practice of them right. and the way they're worked out. Um, right. And so, like you were saying, Tim, I think when people confuse those things, especially kind of the core, what is the core message of the Bible? You know, wrapped up in Jesus and who He is, and His the you know all of it pointing to Him. And when you start conflating that core elements or even letting it be overtaken by your system, your way of practicing that it's really hard when that gets challenged. If you don't have a understanding that there's a lot more out there. Um, and it's, that's not to say that all views of Christianity or all practices of Christianity are equal. I don't think they are. Right. Um, I think some are a lot more faithful than others, but what are we using to even define that? Um, Right. So a lot of people, like you said, I think are their whole world is blown up because they've only ever known this one expression. Um, and naturally then, I mean, like where he seems to be now is he says by every measure he uh, has, he wouldn't call himself a Christian anymore. And actually I let, I have read before he announced this most recent thing, right after he had announced that he was separating from his wife, I read an interview with him that he did with someone and he said in there this was before he like officially said he wasn't calling himself a christian he's his uh the way he talked about it was that he would the guy asked him because i think it was actually a not it wasn't a christian publication interviewing him and they asked him would you change your views now like based on where you're at now like as they were asking about maybe I think they were implying kind of some things like with LGBTQ and things like that. Would you change your views on those types of issues and, or even dating and sex outside of marriage, stuff like that. Um, and he basically said, I would sooner reject it all together than change my understanding of the Bible. And in one sense, I respect, Back to what he was saying, if he's talking about like the core things, like he's saying, because they were basically saying, would you, he, would you kind of twist what the Bible says to make it fit? The guy wouldn't say twist, but that's kind of, he clearly was thinking that like, I'm not going to twist what the Bible says. I think the Bible is pretty clear, especially probably coming from where he did that he, but he said, I would sooner reject it all together than I would you know, change it to try to fit what I currently am wrestling with, which in one sense, I think is really honest to say, if the Bible says what it says, I'm not going to try to change that to make it fit where, you know, where I'm at, if I'm struggling with that. But at the same time, it's also very much a precursor, I think, to where he ends up, at least right now, because who knows where he'll be is the other thing. Right. I mean, that's kind of my point is that, yeah, yeah I, I know what, I mean, to me, when I read what he's saying, I'm like, I 
totally empathize and at times have not been that extreme, but I have definitely considered not calling myself a Christian before many times without throwing out the, the cross and the resurrection and the Jesus story at all. But do but, you think, sorry to interrupt you. Do you think he's not throwing those things out? Because he says a couple things in there where he's, he says, sorry, I don't have his tweet right in front of me, but where he said something about uh, where he mentioned Jesus specifically, how did he word that? Um, I'm looking at through it now. Um, with, with Jesus? Right before you. Sorry, I'm just going off. Of All I you... can read is, um, here's what he said. The information that was left out of my announcement. Okay, I've under, he just says, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular right. phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many okay. people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. So, so he almost seems to be saying that at least right now, He's questioning whether it's right, valid right. at all. But, but, but what I say to that right. is, who has not done that? Right. I mean, I'll raise my hand first. Many, oh, yeah. many, many a time. A lost had, cause. You know, yeah. like, well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like some people are treating him like, well, as we're going to get to this guy's open letter, you know, that pretty much says like, dude, thanks for being a phony. You're a lost cause. Like, good <laughs> riddance. Profit, right? Yeah, I mean, and well, that's kind of my point. It's like it's, there seems to be very little empathy or grace for people in this moment who are going through this in the church life, because here's the thing. He's not the only one to do this. And he's not the only one to get a response like this from church people either of good riddance. You're, I mean, I've seen the posts. I've seen the comments, you know, people are not very kind. And I read this, this open, this guy's open letter. And I read it on his Facebook account, the open letter. Um, and people were like, Oh, thank God. Someone's finally saying this. It needs to be said. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of grace or empathy for people who are in the middle of like what some would call the dark night of the soul, which is a, a somewhat common experience that many Christians or people people go through, not just Christians, of reexamining and questioning and going through seasons where they might even say they don't believe currently. That doesn't mean that either a they wouldn't come full circle at some point, or that that there can't be people be people to walk with him. In fact, I would argue that he needs a solid person in his life more than ever just to be patient and graceful and help and walk with him through it to help him whenever he needs it not to say well you're a false prophet like jesus would say well he never knew you i mean those are huge assumptions to make i think that 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 guy's kind of basing it on the claims that josh made about himself in that tweet and i think you're trying to say Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were trying to say that you see him more as rejecting kind of this cultural definition of Christianity or like Christian culture more so than rejecting Jesus, where yeah, yeah. I think some of the stuff he said in that tweet sounds very much like, and, and I agree with you in that we can't know for sure and judge completely on our own exactly where his heart is right now, but if we're basing any assumptions that we have on what he's saying about himself, it sounds like he's rejecting the faith, you know, fully Jesus, um, everything. <laughs> he doesn't say that though. He, okay. Hold okay on. Right, like you said, let I me mean, back I, up real quick, let me just back up for our audience. So sorry to interrupt you, Jordan. Let me make sure people are, on, are following. So uh, a guy named Mike Harris, who knew Joshua Harris growing up, wrote him an open letter 
Um, in the open letter, he says a lot of stuff. Um, one thing he says, um, I'll, I'll do a couple quotes here. He says in his letter, Jesus says about people like you, referring to Josh, that in the last judgment, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So that's one thing he says. The other thing he says that really got me was, um, let's see, here he goes. And I quote, Jesus told us there would, there would be false prophets and teachers among us. Your story doesn't invalidate Christ's message because he predicted that people would do exactly what you have done. I just didn't expect it, it would ever be you. So now, so I read that like, okay, now Joshua Harris is a false prophet, in, which that's not... Mm. That's not what that is talking about, but okay, we'll, 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 we'll pull that piece of scripture and apply it to Joshua Harris. And then also like this, like, I hate to use cultural buzzwords, so forgive me. And let's not read this in a political lens, but this like shaming of like, I just didn't think it would ever be you, Josh. Like you failed. You just failed me so much. Like my expectation for you was up here. And now that you're in this season, like I'm, I just, I can't believe it. I'm just so disappointed, almost like a parent. And it, that kind of stuff, like, what does that do? To someone like, how does that help? It doesn't help, in my opinion. It doesn't do anything besides just like kicking him in the in the in the gut while he's down, so to speak. There's nothing edifying or helpful or or nice about saying anything like that to a guy who's in the middle of probably one of like the darkest moments of his entire life right now. He he just he is definitely his not. Wife. Hold on, hold on a second, because his response. I don't know if I can find this, but I'll quote it from memory as best I can, because he made a comment just recently that specifically saying that he is not in a dark place right now. He said, I feel free and happier than I ever have. Okay. So he's, so still that's like, he's, he's, he's not in a dark place as far, as far as he's concerned. <laughs> he's All right, stepped fine. into the light. <laughs> it's still that does not invalidate anything I said up until that point. But I, I know, I'm agree. just making I that point. See, You've used right. that That's a couple a good point. times to say that. I don't want to assume that he's like depressed crying at night because I think he has <laughs> said that before that he's not doing that. But Jordan, to your point about what Josh actually said, what he said is he has undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Again, and I, I think based on Which our he own, then described as the biblical term falling away. Or the popular phrase deconstruction. I've went through deconstruction many times. I, I that's what I think is like. I think what he's saying is the biblical phrase. First off, I don't know what biblical phrase he's referring to. What scripture he's talking about? I think that's mm -hmm. the Christian way of saying that. That's the Christian culture way of saying he's I mean, falling away. Verses that talk about falling away. So he's definitely referencing a biblical term. I don't know, man. I I get that, Jesse. I know what you're saying, but I I think it's a stretch to. And again, we're all assuming. I, mean, I don't know what this guy's really thinking. Maybe right. he's like, he, maybe he's like, screw it. I'm done with Christianity as a whole. I reject Jesus. I reject the divinity of Jesus. I'm out. You know, he could be. But I'm just saying that's that all I'm trying to say. That's not what he's <laughs> saying directly. Is what I'm trying to say. I think we're reading into. I'm probably reading into my side I of how I'm reading this. Right. Both. But I think both ways of that we've just kind of described are, are reading something into it. It's it's really hard to say. I mean, I think this guy, Michael Ferris, is reading a lot into. For sure what he's well, saying he's just being a jerk and he's calling the guys like salvation into question right uh, anyway it's a whole different discussion but it's just it's that kind of, again that kind of stuff doesn't help anything it just it it just makes it worse like you just sound like a like a grade a jerk and the fact that people are commenting from church culture saying how good this is and how loving it is i think just shows how twisted we have it we think that we're doing good by calling out the truth of someone who's going through 
this moment in their life by saying that they're not a Christian, they're fake, they were always a fraud. And the other part about this letter that really irks me the probably the most out of everything is when he mentions how how Josh formalized everything. He goes, uh, where did you say? Several times. Um, my heart aches for you in so many ways. It seems that you thought that Christianity was a series of formulas, formulas for marriage, formulas for systematic theology, fear of choosing the wrong formula, fear of failing to, li to live up to your formula. Who do you think taught him that? That If that's not Christian culture, like in, in many ways, in a nutshell, he just summed it up. But that's where we learn it from. I mean, I've I've grown up in that, where if you just output A plus B, you're going to get C. Here's the formula. Here's the three-point sermon. Here are the three A's to get your life back on track. That's what you're taught, like, in church consistently in the evangelical movement. So it, when I read that, I'm like, well, who do you think taught him the formulas to life that have now failed him? A lot of it has been the church culture. we got to call it like we see it. That's, that's what I see. Well, and that's where, I mean, honestly, the, I did not see this letter in my reading about this subject. And I think this guy, it's, to me, it seems like he's just, he's kind of preaching. It's, I mean, he seems like he's got an agenda to try to, he's not trying to, he's calling an open letter to Josh Harris. I don't think he's that concerned with Josh Harris. He seems to be right. more like trying to use this as a way of preaching about what he thinks you know, how people should view this. Um, and the reality is like, right, none of us know where Josh Harris is right now. Most of the talk I've seen uh, from various, you know, kind of outlets and places that I uh, pay attention to has been more talking about, you know, the stuff behind, uh, whether it's, you know, his Joshua Harris book and like kind of what he came out of and that whole, that whole idea of the purity culture, which we didn't talk about much, but we could. Um, and you know, really just cause the thing is too, not everything about like his book, for instance, was negative. There's lots of people who had positive, I mean, I'd say myself, even I never took the book like super seriously. Like I didn't, and that's partially cause I think that's not quite how we grew up, even though, you know, we right. grew up in a homeschooling home and, you know, a more yeah, conservative too. Christian environment, but it was, I would say, I wouldn't say I that we grew up in a legalistic environment as in we didn't feel like there was any grace or like we missed um, the big picture for the rules, for instance. Um, so to me, like I feel like I got some positive things from his book, for instance, you know, um, that, you know, that kind of did serve me well because they were just kind of, I took it for kind of just some, oh yeah, here's some helpful principles from this that I think are good and helpful. And some things I would even pass on to my kids, for instance, um, but not the whole, you know, thing that he was promoting or well, certainly not the whole thing that kind of grew up out of what he and others were saying a lot at the time. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I have, I know there's been a lot of varied responses to him I mean, there and everything. I mean, even, you know, cause he's saying in his, uh, when he announced this officially, he's talking about how he feels. Oh, he like issued an apology, like to the LGBTQ community. Um, but even from that, so he's getting very mixed reactions. You know, some people are like, thank you. We really appreciate that. You're, that you feel that way. And other people like, too late, you know, like you spent all this time, uh, you know, doing what we consider to be, uh, 
hurtful things, you know, or saying or spouting hurtful things. So I don't think he's getting, you know, personally, I almost feel like he's just a symbol in, in this really. And I, 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 for his own sake, I would kind of like to see him go out of the public view. It was kind of weird to me that he actually would make this like a public thing. Like the, he has to announce this. Um, I know he's a public figure. So that's probably why he feels like he needs to make a public statement about it. Um, but especially if he's in a, a place of kind of wrestling with things, it seems weird that he would feel like he needs to do that in public. Maybe, maybe he needs to right his wrongs, so to speak, in his mind, you know, that like, hey, be. I was very public about this when I was super passionate about it in one way. And I think it's important that people know that I have shifted. Right. And that I've really changed views. I mean, this where he's at, where he's at now, according to Instagram. Anyway, it's amazing <laughs> we're even using his Instagram account to validate this, but is what it is. That's where I, I mean, chose to announce it. So right, but where <laughs> yeah. he is this now, is is, where he is now is just a logical outworking of where he he said he was a couple years ago. I mean, right. That's just, and this is, I guess, what I'm advocating for. I would say, uh, in my view is that to me where he's at now in my opinion is almost part of like the natural cycle that happens when you're on this path but you if you're sincere in your faith from the beginning you tend to come back full circle just in a different way personally you know and i can say that for myself personally i've kind of had to come full circle i never actually was like hey i'm not a christian i definitely thought about not calling myself that and Sarah and I have definitely talked about stepping away from the evangelical church many times because we just find ourselves at odds with several, what we would say are maybe key issues that we feel strongly about that aren't either taken as seriously or just viewed differently in the church. So we've had those talks in private and I've, you know, Jordan, it's no stranger. And same thing with you, Jesse, I've had many of my uh, fair share of wrestling and walking through um, you know, how to believe about this Jesus character and what this actually means and how God is working and how we read the Bible, all that stuff I've had to think through. I think a lot of us have. I think you have too, Jesse, and same thing with you, Jordan. I know Rob has. And I think that we're still working that out. I just think, uh, so that's why when I read what like guys like Josh say, I'm like, okay, like I, I get it. It's pretty much what I say. It's like, right. hey, honestly, like if I wasn't so committed and like if I didn't have such good people around me, I probably would end up on a road similar to that at some point. Uh, or at least I would have, I wouldn't now, um, you know, guys, certain podcasts and stuff have really helped me think through this stuff on a deeper level and, and, and in a different way. But I empathize. I think for me, it's just more empathy. Right. I just understand that side of it. And so to me, I think that the response as Christians should be to want to help and not just want to tear down, which is just, so it, it really irks me when I see like other people who are either personal friends of his or are just social media warriors, you know, the Christian kind, <laughs> just like almost celebrate this guy turning away and then having no problem, just kind of like casting that first stone of like, here's what we think about you. It's like, well, guess what? Luckily for you and for Josh, it doesn't matter what you think about him. Ultimately, it matters what God thinks about him. And that's not up to you. So you can rest. That's a nice feeling. You know, like it's not really much of your concern over like how this works out because you're not responsible for Joshua Harris's life. Isn't that great? <laughs> you Man, know? That's the thing. Like, I have no problem with this guy, Michael Ferris. I mean, Joshua Harris chose to make a public statement. So everyone has sure. every right to weigh in publicly with their opinion of it. Um, if he's going to air it in public. 
but at the same time, like he doesn't seem to be, he, it's just, again, he's making a lot of assumptions. He's uh, about Joshua Harris, but also about, you know, he's really kind of spouting some of his own views that are, I mean, I would take issue with some of the things he said, even about like, that's the way, you know, Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. And like the fact that that would definitely apply in this situation. Um, and, you know, or that he's definitely never was he, cause he says right in the letter, like, I don't think, I think this makes clear that you never were a Christian. Like, that's what right. he said, which how are right. you to say that? I mean, in my understanding of things, I would say if someone even legitimately quote unquote falls away, that doesn't mean they're not coming back. Um, and that's not, you know, it could be that they never were, but it could also be that they're just wrestling right now and that they will come, you know, they will come back to faith. Yeah, That's not something we can judge because that is a hard thing. Well, I think as, as we're talking through this, another thing that comes to mind is that it just, this letter, and again, I think this is more of like a symbol now, I think reflects a lot of times the stat, uh, like the um, the posture of the church where it's like, oh, that was on you. Like you're falling away is your fault. We had nothing to do with it. Your formulas, it's your issue. So good luck, like you're out. And we don't, we tend not to, not to take a look at ourselves and think, huh, like we're producing people like Joshua Harris. We gave him a lot of this stuff. Maybe we should reflect on like how people are leaving the faith more and more and how millennials are like, deconstructing more and more maybe that should be like you know a tell maybe that should be um uh like a launching pad into us rethinking how we're approaching the faith and how we're handling church culture and you know christian culture but instead a lot of times not all the time but publicly you see more symbols like this than you do of like josh man i it hurt me to, to hear that how can I help? You know, like what if this what if, what if this was like an open letter to Josh to help him? Like Josh, I get it. I've had I've had moments where you know where you're at. I'm not gonna call them dark, Jordan. You know, but I, I I've had moments where you're at. I just want to help you. Like, can we get coffee? I just want to hear what you're going through. Why can't that be an open letter? Instead, the open letter is like, man, dude, like it sucks that you weren't really a Christian. Like, good luck in hell. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I mean, that's pretty much what this guy's saying. That's what because well, I would argue he doesn't even really seem to be kind of calling him back to faith. Even you know, right. he's not really in that letter. Because I would say, yeah, if it was more of like, look, I, I, I get where you're at. I get why you're struggling. I, I can see, you know, from everything you've come out of, you know, why you're kind of going through this now. And but you know, and kind of just pointing him back towards Jesus and saying, you know, the right. I could see that, but. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know that this guy's concern is really for Joshua Harris. Well, that's what's so ironic. I mean, Jesse or Jordan, think about like a good friend and who you've done ministry with for a lot of years. I'm sure you have someone, Jesse, that you can think of. And if that person falls away, I don't think your first response is like, dear so-and-so, like, wow, sucks to be you. Like, I guess you never were a Christian. Like, Jesus will tell you, you know, depart from me. I don't think that would be your first reaction. Your first reaction is probably heartbreaking. Like, dude, like, let's meet up. Like, how can I help? Like, what can I do? You know, how can I just walk with you? That's the response of a friend or of someone who loves someone. So when the letter signed with love and sorrow in my head, frankly, I'm just like, yeah, right. Like what love are you talking about? You mean with judgment and like in venom, really, you know, <laughs> like that's a better response. Just call it what it is that you're mad and that you think that he didn't do things the right way. So you're ticked at him. So this is what you think. I mean, just 
be honest. Do you think that, and <clears throat> I'm not saying that this is the right way to think about it necessarily, but do you think that people would be responding this strongly if it hadn't come with also with this announcement that he and his wife are separating? Because I see what you like what you're saying in this whole idea of like wrestling with your faith and, you know, falling away with that, you know, or, or just removing yourself from that label of Christian, um, that kind of thing. But I can see how some people would see that and then also see him and his wife separating as sort of like an evidence of something else or something deeper or just like more problems and not to say, I mean, I still agree. I agree with you that the response is not in love as much as it should be. And even if his marriage, like uh, the, he needs people supporting him in that too. <laughs> um, but I guess my question to you is like, what do you think about, like, do you think it would be the same if that, if they were together and like going through this together, do you think it would have been any different of a response or maybe a more willingness to accept that he's just going through something and wrestling through? I thought a lot yeah. about this actually. Sorry, uh, Jess. Um, no, go ahead. I thought a lot about this and this is just my opinion and you guys can feel free to disagree with me. <laughs> oh, I think my headphones died really quick. Let me, let me change them out. Cause I can't hear you. Hold on. I'm putting a new one in. So my, actual headphones i don't have the mommy so i'm using airpods that are both dead i'm switching them out in the case i don't know if you guys can even hear me because i can't hear you right now at all hold on i gotta reconnect <laughs> i had a great brilliant thought uh can you guys hear still me? be oh. there we can hear you yeah oh oh uh they're all dead all right well i'll just say i'll just say it um so here's my thought Here's my thought with this thing about the divorce thing. And again, you guys can feel free to disagree with me on this. I, first of all, let me just say, I think divorce is wrong, not good, bad. Okay, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not <laughs> saying it's a healthy thing. I'm not saying it's the first option. I'm not saying it should be any option in any perfect world. I totally agree. Divorce is not right. It's not advocated for, okay? However, divorce in church culture is one of like the top three cardinal sins. That if you commit, it, you're just over with. Like there's just no coming back from church culture. And divorce is one of those things. And so I absolutely think that because he got divorced plus the faith thing, the people he's just so far gone morally, he's pretty much just like a raging mass murderer to, in their minds of just like a terrible human because how could you ever divorce someone? It's, it's not right. I think personally it's over the top because – I think about people like David who have done in the Bible, these characters who do horrific things more than just divorcing um, that God still can work through. Like God still redeems and God still makes wrongs right, even divorce. But I think in our church culture, that's one of the top three that if you do, it's almost impossible to come back from in church culture. Well, and I, I think, I mean, divorce is actually pretty common in a lot of church culture too. I mean, I'm, it depends on what church you're part of, I suppose. But mm. um, I mean, I know the stats say that divorce is actually just as common among Christians as non-Christians, although that's a little bit skewed because that doesn't take into account that uh, Christians tend to marry more than non-Christians. Um, oh, however, um, however, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think it depends on what, I think there are a lot of churches and church culture out there where, yes, that is viewed as a very negative thing. Um, and I, and specifically in a situation like this, like to answer your question, Jordan, I would, I'm sure that for many people, um, this was made worse by that fact. Yes. Because they would, they kind of probably view that as repudiating so much of what he said, like, you know, hypocritical basically, mm-hmm. um, that he would, um, be preaching all this stuff for so long and then basically turning his back on it, um, and I mean, I can understand that feeling that way, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's not, you know, we don't even know the circumstances of his divorce either because sure. they've not said that publicly, like why, really why they've said it's mutual, like they're in agreement that to separate and things like that. But we don't really know what led to that. Um, so it's hard to judge, but I, I mean, I think it's got, you got to say yes, that some definitely people, many people are probably viewing, many Christians, I guess, viewing this more harshly because of that fact. Although I don't know really, because then he, to follow that up by saying, at least at this point, he's not calling himself a Christian, you know, that seems to be going even further. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? And I, uh, Obviously, the Christian culture in America, it's so even though we there's a certain like majority system to it, it's still very varied and very wide. And I think when you really get down to like the the small details, there's a lot of a lot of uh, depth in it. Um, But I think that like the big picture culture we talk about a lot of times, especially the ones that Joshua Harris grew up in, and we've maybe been on more of the outskirts of, but not maybe so much in the deep heart of it, but we've kind of grown up in like the lighter versions of some of those things. Like I was homeschooled too, but I was able to date, but it was still pretty regulated. And I understand why my parents are good people. They weren't bad or anything like that, but we kind of flirted with that in the beginning, that like kind of mentality. Right. right. Um, the, the, the problem is that when you have a fully systematized, like Christianity, that it's all just like these formulas, you only have two options. You either follow the formula to the T no matter what happens, even if it's totally not working, you just, you know, batten down the hatches and you just keep pushing through. Or eventually you end up, you know, I think kind of walking away and trying to find like a more like common or just more like grounded belief system, but you can't question the system. Like if you question the system, you're on the way out. So either you have to accept it wholeheartedly and just believe it and just go for it and always hunker down no matter how much you know, how many, how many facts or questions or whatever or points are brought up. You have to just say, no, that's just like, that's just the world's influence on me. I can't listen to it. Or eventually you kind of come out of it and you kind of realize that like there's a bigger world than just that system. That doesn't even mean, that doesn't even mean that, that the system is necessarily inherently evil or bad or not right. It just means that there has to be room for other systems to be able to breathe alongside of it. And I think it, I'll put it this way. I think if people in these systems that we're talking about, these I stating goodbye purity culture systems were able to say, Hey, we recognize that we're not the only system out there that could work for people. I think it'd be a, a much less um, like a tumultuous relationship <laughs> between these, these systems, you know, but I think because they're so hardline, they're so fundamentalist, so to speak, they're so like, you know, rigid, there's just no room in their worldview for another worldview. So you're either right or you're wrong. And if you don't believe what we believe, how we believe it, you're wrong. And that's just the end of it. So I think that creates a lot of friction. 
I think that kind of goes the other way too. I was just thinking about like, cause you're talking about like people's response to him and particularly the people that maybe are in his life. Um, this example we've been using of this guy is someone who's known him for a long time. Um, but just this thought of like, how should someone respond to that? And I guess my question was like, is it possible to like, for someone to come alongside someone who's going through something like this in a, in a supportive way without saying what you're doing is okay? You know, because there's obviously things that are going on that are not okay. Um, and I guess my thought with that is a lot of times I think the people who are going through something like this are closed off to anyone who's not going to validate what they're doing. Does that make sense? Like if you're not going to say, okay, Josh, you're obviously on a path here. So I support you fully in what you're doing. Um, you know, if you're not going to, I don't know that this is where he is, but you know, if, if you don't say that, then he, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not supporting me in what I'm doing here. And, you know, like that is a common, you know, like story. <laughs> Let me ask you, you a question about that. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted, I've thought about that before too, but here's where I get stuck. Okay. So let's say I'm Josh's friend. Okay. Which I'm not, I don't know Joshua Harris at all. <laughs> and let's say that I come alongside Joshua Harris and I'm like, hey, man, I know I get it. I, I'm with you. Just so you know, I really support you. I'm just here for you. I want to be your friend. However I can help, let me know. Mm -hmm. What about that statement? Even if it validates what we might think is wrong, like what is the worst possible outcome about that? Like what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm pushing him farther off the cliff? Does it mean that I'm compromising my own faith and my own morals? No. Like, because I, I think don't. what happens is I always ask that question of like, okay so if you do that then what like what's the consequence is someone like what happens does god come down and like smite you know you know strike you dead because you affirmed the wrong thing like what are we afraid of that makes us go well just so you know i love you but i can't affirm what i think you're doing is wrong so if i do that i'm somehow losing my own faith in the process like right. that's what i'm asking i get what you're saying for sure um, I don't think anything in the statement you just said is necessarily even affirming of, you know, say, say it was not maybe Josh, but somebody who was maybe more obviously doing things or living in such a way that you wouldn't agree with. Um, Cause I obviously with this situation, it's a little bit of a gray area, but let's make sure. it a little more black and white for the sake of the argument. Um, okay. If it was something like that and you were to come uh, and say something like that, I don't think that is really affirming what they're doing necessarily. You're being supportive of them as a person and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing is that your relationship with that person is not just that conversation. It's going to be conversations after that. It's going to be thousands of more, hundreds of more conversations where you have to talk to that person and work with them through whatever you're doing. Because if you're genuine in what you just said, that you're going to come alongside them and, and support them as a person, you're going to be there for them. You know, so if they then are in a place where you know they're totally fine with what they're doing, this new lifestyle that they have adopted is where they're at and where they're going to go. Is there ever a point where you would have to, you know, 
<laughs> I know we, we've been throwing this around, like yeah. in yeah. love to them, like right, how would you right. confront them about that? You know, because I think that it yes. could definitely get to that point. I think about First Corinthians 5 when Paul talks about um, the guy who's sleeping with his uh, stepmom, essentially, mm-hmm. and the church is like celebrating it. And he's like, you're crazy. Like this guy needs to be, he says handed over to Satan, but that's like a metaphor for like given over just to like, just out pretty much like, hey, he can't be in the church and doing this. Like it's one or the other. Right. You know, right. um, and so I, I, I would agree, Jordan, like, I do think if you had a situation, I, okay, maybe we're kind of conflating the wrong things here. Maybe mm-hmm. shoes that we're talking about here. Like, I, okay, for example, I'm going to assume, and I could be totally wrong, but I'm going to assume, even though that he's divorced, I'm assuming that like, if you asked him or his wife, like, hey, did you guys ever want, like, are you, are you not happy, but you know, if you can go back, would you still want to get divorced? You know, right. I don't think they'd be like, oh, yeah, like we're so Is divorced. Okay. <laughs> no, right. You know, I'm sure that they still feel like, trust me, like we didn't come to this decision lightly. It wasn't what we wanted to do. We didn't get married to get divorced 20 years later. You know, so I, I think that there's some level still of some form of like a remorse there. Right. But if you had a guy who's like, yo, like, I cheated on my wife. I don't care. Like I'm out. Like, Hey, this is not my life anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm out of all this. And by the way, I need you to accept what I just did as like a good thing. I would right. hope, and I, again, maybe I'm wrong. I would hope that any good friend to anyone in any worldview would probably hit him in the head and be like, are you an idiot? Like I'm one of your best friends. This is the dumbest thing you could have done. So maybe yeah. that's, you know, so yes, I to answer your question long windedly. I definitely think that, that there's a, that there are times where a good friend, like in Proverbs, it says, better are the faithful wounds of a friend than the deceitful kisses of an enemy. You know, the mm-hmm. idea of just like, as your friend, I know this will hurt, but trust me, I want the best for you. This yeah. is a bad idea. <laughs> so yeah. take what you just said, and I guess my thought is that as misguided as it may be, this guy, Michael Ferris, writing this open letter to Josh, and I mean like we said, there's things in there that definitely make it pretty clear that he's not so concerned about Josh as a person as he is about saying what he has to say. Um, but I guess I'm saying even in this situation, I'm sure there's people that from their perspective see the situation that way, you know, where it's, where something is happening and I need to step in and smack this guy in the head, like you said. (laughs) Um, And maybe they're wrong to think that because maybe the situation isn't to that point. And maybe that's where the problem is, is how they're viewing the situation. And that's probably it right there, Jordan. I think, I think I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's the, in my mind, the big separation. I don't think going through, okay, let's just, for sake of argument, Let's assume that Josh is still trying to think through all this. And right now mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not a Christian. I'm still trying to mull it all over. I don't know like what I believe yet. Let's just assume that that's the case. I don't think that's the same as like, yo, I cheated on my wife and like, I'm, I'm living with my girlfriend now and I love it and you got to accept me. And then, you know, okay, here's the letter that pretty much says like, dude, what are you doing? I don't think that, that there's, that these are the same things, but I think that you're right. This guy sees it like that, which is right. a shame because ultimately I think that a lot of people go through these seasons of their faith. I mean, doubting is like a thing. It's in the scripture. People go through this stuff. Some mm-hmm. do walk away either for a season or permanently, but yeah. anyway, it's yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. That makes more sense putting it that way. And that's the weird thing about these situations because there's really two totally different situations here. One is 
how do people around him who know him, who are friends with him, who love him, how do they respond in this situation? That's one thing. But then the whole other thing is, okay, well, this is a public thing now. One, because he's a public figure. Two, because he's made this public. So how people respond to that publicly, it just makes, it's a weird thing. Like, I mean, (laughs) in what other time in history, especially before social media, would we have known this kind of thing about a personal situation like this? We right. had the opportunity to comment on it. I mean, we probably shouldn't read all people's comments. Uh, on, <laughs> don't do that. The comment section of most social media is like the pit of hell. So uh, I wouldn't take much stock of what anyone's commenting on anything. But but it even you know like so, you know so it just becomes this weird mess when this all gets aired out and tried to you know people like you know even if this is his intent, this Michael Ferris is to be even if he sees it as his intent to be helpful, you know, an open letter on the internet, like that's just not the way to go about being helpful to someone. Right. Um, even, if, and even if you feel like, wow, I need to speak up because he's made this public. I think he's done damage to the name of Christianity or name of Christ because of things he's said or done. You don't have, you know, there would, there would be a different way to go about it. You could talk about maybe things, you know, the content maybe of what Josh Harris has said or what he's taught in the past. And, you know, and I think there are a lot of people that are doing that. That's kind of how they're approaching this is talking more like was the things he was teaching in the past or the culture, the church culture he was in and came out of, was that actually healthy or helpful? Um, And you could, you know, to me, it's a lot, Again, I would love to see this kind of fade for him personally fade out of the public spotlight so he would even have space to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. My thought I just had was like, I I feel that we should be slower to respond to things. And and just kind of what I was saying to you, Tim, in kind of that hypothetical situation we created, that that first conversation you have with that person was supportive and uh, loving, and I think that's good. Um, and then you go from there. Um, you know, the smacking on the head comes later if necessary, <laughs> but it's I think Which when is still the, loving though, right? Because right, the idea but if that's of- your yeah, if yeah. that's your first reaction, that was what I'm saying, is to do that, then yeah. often, I mean, you probably don't have the whole story. You're making a lot of assumptions like we have been all night. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is interesting. to it, The internet makes this stuff like it's way weird. When you, when you really think about it, like we're in someone else's life talking about their problems and their their view on things right now. <laughs> And how it's a big deal because this person is more well-known than mm-hmm. maybe people in our own churches that are going through the same exact thing that we don't care about at all and right. we're not podcasting about. But because it's this <laughs> guy who at one time wrote a book that impacted other people, now this matters more. Like it's like an illusion of impact almost. Like, like, like we almost feel like right. this is like a more egregious situation than like the neighbor <laughs> or a Christian friend down the street who we don't know as well. But like to God, it's all the same, you know, like I think I, I don't think 
and especially with more divorce, I, I think doubting and, and going through seasons, I don't think it's so much more sin or not. It's just the thing that you kind of go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with like the like divorce part in particular, I, I don't think God like takes pleasure in seeing people separate from a union that like that they went into covenant with, with God, you know, I don't think there's goodness in that. Um, so I think it definitely hurts. I think it breaks his heart. And I think that ultimately like, you know, that's not what we want to aim for. And when these things, but these, the other side though, is that the reality of life throughout history, not just, not just American culture, not just 2019, not just the modern era, but throughout history is that this has happened to people before many people have done this thing, you know, it's, it has happened. And I don't think that it's easy and I don't think that it's good, but it, it happens. Um, and it's just, so I was trying to balance that, like, what's the ideal for, and then also like, but like what actually also happens in reality uh, and the reality is that people do a lot of dumb things. There's a lot of hurt in the world because of that. Yeah. I guess I want to, my th- thinking with that is like, careful, like how we describe something like divorce as like just happening to them (laughs) because it didn't just happen to them it was a decision and you said it earlier that you were you said i'm sure they didn't do enter into this lightly um so i guess i'm just thinking like it couldn't have been you know it was definitely something that they thought about a lot and decided to do you know if their views on it are still that this is not good you know this is not what god would desire for us I guess my thought, I'm kind of thinking out loud right now. <laughs> my, my thinking is like, why would you go through the process of thinking through all of that, knowing that it's not God's desire for you and still follow through with it unless you were either just not concerned anymore what God's desire for you was or thinking just that your own situation superseded that somehow for me this is one of those well first off i know you're saying you're just talking out loud my my thought was like sometimes one spouse wants a divorce over the other like right that spouse so that's what was kind of my example yeah well yeah that's um, that's true you know like um honestly in this case dude all i can say and this is just me you guys can feel free to weigh in I feel like it's one of those things where like, unless you've been there and like understanding what that, that looks like, it's just hard to fathom how that can happen. And honestly, like, it's funny because I remember like before I got married and before me and Sarah got together, I would always wonder, I I always hear people, you know, Oh, so-and-so cheated on his wife or her husband. Like, how could they do that? Like they're in covenant, but like being married now for a few years, I'm like, wow, I can understand how, if I'm not careful, that can happen to me, you know, like if I'm not, if I'm not wise and like, I'm not really on top of my game and vice versa for Sarah, I can see how a spouse can cheat on, on a spouse when mm. you're, it's so normal living with your spouse. It's just a normal situation. I can see how that allure of something new and different and like, un, you know, unknown can be very attractive. So I use that as an example in a way of saying like, I don't know how divorce can happen. I just know that it does happen. People do it. And sometimes, and it's not good. And I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think the majority of people who get divorced in our culture necessarily are always happy. I'm sure some do it to be happier, but I just think that there are other things that happen that I don't, I can't fathom. But, but the example I just gave earlier gives myself more empathy for like, well, obviously it does, <laughs> even if I yeah. can't pull 
understand it, you know? Yeah. So I don't well, know. You know, we don't, like we've said too, yeah, we have really no idea why they actually, like what were the relational factors that led to them making this decision? We really don't know. So it's really hard to say if that, you know, what, how this situation <laughs> yeah. relates yeah. to anything when it comes to divorce. But right, right. It's got to be weird pressures. I mean, someone to have been in the public eye like he has been for so long. Um, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? Just, I know this is something you guys have talked about on the podcast in the past, but just this idea of like celebrity kind of leadership in the church and how that kind of plays into this. Because to me, like he that's one of the bigger things here too is and not that he's like the epitome of this or something you know i think there's other pastors and leaders out there that are way more um negatively kind of these celebrity figures than he has been but at the same time when there's that much i mean he was a pastor of a large church you know well-known author um you know conference speaker you know, very much part of kind of, I mean, I remember hearing him years ago, you know, at conferences um, and not about dating, you know, not about anything like that. Just as, as a pastor, he was involved in that kind of world. Uh, and I don't know, just, is that a good thing? And even what you were saying a little while ago, Tim, ago that, you know, when people are seeing somebody like him or these types of leaders and these types of situations, and this is kind of what becomes the focal point and what people are judging things by and not their own church, not their own people they know, you know, whether it's, you know, we have access 24 seven to uh, every pastor you could ever want to listen to in their sermons, um, which in many ways is a good thing. But at the other time, the other hand, like it really probably skews a lot of our view of like the people that are right around us and the teaching we may have access to and the community we may have access to directly. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I think kind of about like the, we used the term like impact earlier. And I think that when you have somebody who's in a situation like that, where they have either a large church or, you know, they're a well-known author or something, um, they have this ability to like impact a large number of people in a positive way, hopefully. Um, and that happens. And I think it's kind of just the natural antithesis of that. <laughs> when something negative happens with that person, that it then impacts a large number of people in a negative way. Um, and I think in that sense, it's just kind of how it happens, <laughs> you know, and I mean, it's definitely not good when there's such a, a, a widespread negative uh, impact from something that happens to someone or, or something that somebody does. Um, but I think it's just kind of the natural, uh, 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 what happens, <laughs> you know, when, when there are those situations. Personally, I think that more people having positive impact on a smaller scale can be healthier in the long run for 
the church as a whole than you know this one person having a huge impact because because of then what happens negatively um and i guess i'm thinking about this from just it seems like a very like practical like logical uh standpoint you know if you have someone who's you know really positively impacting 100 people and something happens they're only going to negatively impact those 100 people whereas if you have somebody who's really positively impacting 10,000 people um then something happens you're going to negatively impact all those people so just kind of this you know i think there was an example set in the bible and maybe it doesn't apply to this exactly but i think we can kind of you know look to it just in the way that jesus you know spread out his ministry among multiple people you know he didn't stay there and be the one guy for for everybody to look at um and i mean he is <laughs> because he is yeah he really is the one guy right, right he is the one guy um but you know these disciples that went out and i'm trying to think i'm like vaguely thinking of uh example in acts or something where uh and i maybe i'm making this up i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> where you know it's kind of that where the emphasis is put more so on on the ministry and the mission than the guy you know it's not about the one guy you know even though these these people were starting to be more well known in those Christian circles that they were in, you know, they were the 12 disciples. Um, but it wasn't so much about them as it was about the mission and about Jesus, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was a little bit rambly, but it's just kind of what came to mind. <laughs> there are a lot of layers to that. I would just hit on two. Um, I don't think at least for me, the issue is so much people being well-known or being a uh, quote-unquote celebrity, you know, like we all have people in Christian culture that we view that way. I think some people think that John Piper is a celebrity to them, you know, or Ravi Zacharias is a celebrity or Stephen Furtick or whoever else, you know, worship leaders and so on and so forth. I think for me, we don't allow them to be honest. So they kind of have right. to perform for us. And if they said it, if they, I mean, could you imagine if Stephen Furtick said like the S word on stage? They're like, oh, like he cursed, like, oh my, how can he possibly be a Christian? Like, he I don't know, cursed. an elevation that might be celebrated. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, fine. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's say John Piper then. All right. We'll go real conservative. You know, or like, let's say like John Piper like got really angry at someone, like yelled at him, and it, it, and it was recorded on tape and right. it, was, it was published. John Piper loses his temper. Like, oh my gosh, John Piper, how could he? I, you know, I, I don't know how much of it is them or us telling them how to be. <laughs> and so they're like, yeah. okay, we'll act like animals, like, 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 like trained, you know, animals <laughs> just be on all the time for you. So that way you like us more. So here I go. I'm on all the time. And I, and I can't do certain things that Christian culture would frown upon. Like I can't say a bad word and I can't lose my temper and I can't admit that I have doubts sometimes because then right. people will doubt, will think that I'm not a good Christian. So that's different from cheating on your wife or like having a serious addiction problem or you know, abusing people, that's a very different issue. They're, but they're all kind of mud, muddied. They're in the same water sometimes. So I want to make a distinction that there are definitely things that, you know, if you're in a position of power, 
and authority, whether you're over 50 people or your live stream gets a million people. If you cheat on your wife and have an affair and it's ongoing, you probably should step down and re-examine your life and repent and start the road back to recovery. Whether that means getting back to a pastoral position or not is not the issue. The issue is that you need recovery. <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you're uh, repentant, if you're not, then obviously it's never going to work, right? So that's different than like, there are certain things that we value as Christians that if people do, we think is like a litmus test of how Christian they are. You know, like if I, I'll go back to the bad words as an example. It's very low hanging fruit. You know, if I meet someone and they're cursing and I, this is me even now. And then they say, Oh, I'm a Christian. I think, Oh, you must not be a real Christian or you must like be like a baby Christian. When in reality, they might be like very devoted. I mean, I I say bad words in my house sometimes with Sarah. I mean, like I'm just saying, like I I, I use profanity sometimes. You know, she questions your your faith because of that. Yeah, automatically. I mean, automatically. <laughs> because of the Bible. Rightly podcast. so. <laughs> they even unleashed me into liberalism. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, my point though is that there are just certain things that certain Christian cultures value that if you break, automatically your Christianity or your integrity is is questioned taboos yeah but some are serious like some are i think are real things that we should be aware sure. of but yeah i do think that that we kind of we it's to put it um more of like um economic term it's just the market supply and demand we sure. say we want these leaders we get these leaders <laughs> well, i think i definitely think that's the case i think it's the if there's a fault in this kind of system we have right now, right. I think it is a kind of a supply and demand thing in that we're essentially, it's kind of what we're asking for um, as you know, the, the consumer quote unquote, you know, I think we, right. we, and I think that therein kind of does lie. The pro problem is that we are putting these leaders up on a pedestal in a way that one, like you're saying, doesn't allow them to be normal people. Just human. Um, and right, which sets them up for failure because totally. they're not have they likely don't have the people speaking into their life uh, in the same way because they can't admit those things, you know. Um, or because it like jeopardize like their position, or and one, right. it's also on the flip side of it. We're also by we can be can be feeding into people's natural desire for influence or power exactly. or the trip, you know, exactly. so we're, we're putting people on the pedestal, which is not good for them. And then also we're putting them in these positions where they're more likely to be kind of corrupted by the power and whatever that they, they're attaining in these positions. Um, I mean, I mean, it's not, that's right. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. But I just don't think that any of that's, it's not helpful to me. I mean, as I look out, as kind of the landscape of American Christianity. And sometimes, you know, you hear about a lot of stories of uh, missions work and everything too, that's spreading to other places where kind of this version of whether it's like the prosperity gospel or that maybe is probably the worst side of it, but is being spread to around the world. And it's, and that's a big part of it is it's so focused on these, you know, few figures who are like the figureheads of it. Um, and, you know, the, there's just so much the, the human heart I think is prone to uh, clearly, you know, scripturally is prone to all sorts of uh, evil and failures. And so when we put so much into these individual figures, uh, so much of our hopes and so much of our attention, so much of our focus, I just don't, doesn't seem like it's helpful. Right. Well, to them or to us. 
Well, and that goes mm-hmm. for even the small pastors. You know, we, the way that we handle pastoral roles in general is we we assume that they're just infallible people. Like we assume a pastor is never going to make a mistake that we think isn't a mistake. And then we expect them to be on all the time, give us a killer sermon, show up to all the funerals, all the hospitals, you know, um, make our day and, you know, be able to be a good counselor, be a teacher. So we, it's just, I mean, when you really think about how much we expect the pastor to do, it's kind of crazy. I mean, hey, give us fresh vision. Uh, fresh vision. Give us a great sermon. Um, also, make sure you go visit people that we think you should visit. Also, can you counsel me? Also, can you also pastor me? Also, can you teach me? I mean, that's like six different hats that can all be their own career in their own. And so we wonder why, like statistically speaking, many pastors get burnt out, leave the ministry, fall into some kind of addiction, pornography addiction, whatever, uh, or, or hidden sin because they feel like, like they can't be honest in front of their congregation. But, you know, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever met people? I mean, I have. I've met pastors who have said like, oh, man, it's good to get away from like my congregation so I can just kind of vent and kind of be myself, you know, without them around. And I know <laughs> what, they're what they're saying is like there's a certain expectation that, that people have of him or her. And they need a time where they can just kind of be themselves, not worry about being judged or, or wondering if someone else is judging them because they, they said something the wrong way or had a view that maybe wasn't super standard in whatever view that they think that they should have been having. You know what I mean? Right. It's crazy. And some of that's, and I mean, some of that's kind of inevitable. Like you're, I mean, anyone who's kind of a, a leadership kind of figure, you're not, I don't. Yes, I mean, I think there should be a lot more transparency and a lot more grace given and all that. But at the same time, I mean, you don't necessarily expect someone to kind of air all their dirty laundry all the time. Or, you know, I mean, as someone who's worked in the church world for quite a while now, it's definitely really good to have like friends outside of that world <laughs> because there's just always stuff going on that, like, you know, you can't necessarily talk about everything. Uh, it's why you have me, Jesse. It's why you have me. Right. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. But that idea, for sure, that you're, you know, we're putting people in a position where they can't, um, can't be themselves really, and can't. They're like you said that that idea. They always have to be on, and it can feed into kind of them basically kind of a a false thing that they're projecting, a false self that they're putting out there because they. Think that's what people are expecting yeah 100 no, percent. i think good. it's better i think it's better too when you get more plurality in those situations too when you have um you know teams that not are leading a church right yeah and back to what you were saying tim that's that model of this one guy doing all these things is really not a biblical model <laughs> you know totally. the biblical model is a group of elders uh you know doing all that together as they are gifted to do so. <laughs> I am um, like the biggest advocate for the leadership teams running anything, including mm-hmm. church, because then it, it automatically, here's the thing though. It's more difficult because you have to compromise more because it's not all about just you and what you think. And right. so it's more difficult because there's more friction, but if you can work through the friction as a healthy team, it's actually, you get better results anyway, and it's not all on you. Um, and uh, there are other strengths that, that you don't have that are on a team that have equal say. But as long as we have this like CEO model, I think we're going to be setting people up for like potentially getting really hurt, burnt out or, you know, yeah. Yeah, just hurt by, 
the expectation that we give them. Um, I think a lot, Jordan, about 11th hour, the small group we, we were involved with. And mm-hmm. when it was a leadership team, there was like five or six people that all had equal say. And some of our meetings went long. They went several hours. <laughs> and we had to fight for what we thought, you know, was the right thing to do in that moment. But at the end of it, we came out with a better plan than all of us could have realized. It just took more time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for leadership teams running a church. I think that that is essential hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, and even, uh, even Josh Harris said, I one part of the reason he did leave, uh, when he was pastoring, when he left that and left the church was because he was burned out, <laughs> mm. you know, because of situations that had gone on in the church and, and, you know, struggles that they had had to work through. And again, you know, all those, those pressures on him. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, it's not surprising. I guess at, at this point, I'm like, I'm not surprised at all when I hear a story like Joshua Harris's. Um, right. But that, see, that's what factors. I'm saying though, is like, that's what I was kind of trying to say earlier, a couple minutes ago, that should wake the church up and have us self-reflect on what we're doing. Yeah. Like what system, I, it should, what <laughs> institution have we created where it's common for people to get so burnt out that they either walk away from the faith, they have a crazy moral failing, they do something totally dumb because they're just exhausted um, from the expectations that we have on them. So I call it the church machine. And like the, the inside joke I have with some friends is like the church machine will eat you up and it will take everything. It, the church will never not say no to you. If you if you're a volunteer or paid staff, you can give your whole life to the church and there will always be more work to do. It will always take more. I'm not saying the church is malicious or that they're trying to do that or that they're, or that that they're trying to hurt people. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at it, it's a machine that will just suck you up and when it's done, it will spit you out and it will say thanks for your time. Sorry you got burnt out. Take some time for yourself. Maybe come back when you're ready. I mean, that's kind of like what the process tends to be. And we need to re-examine that, frankly, and rethink, like, you know, at what cost are we building these elaborate systems? If it's causing us people, if if we're losing people, then it's it defeats the whole purpose of having these systems, ultimately. It just does. Yeah. Well, and that's what I would almost say, like, to me, that's the big picture of all the things kind of we've talked about, <laughs> is that so many of these things, whether it's the church systems, whether it's... Uh, the celebrity pastor kind of culture and all the emphasis that gets put on certain people and their, their failings and their teachings and debating whether what they say is true or not, you know, all this, the focus on so much of those things, or even things like purity culture and the focus that puts on, uh, you know, kind of an almost an unhealthy obsession with marriage, which is a disservice to single people and all those things. Didn't even talk about that, but all these things to me, it just end up being distractions uh, from really what the church is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to be focused on, um, which is the big problem, I think. You know, I, I just, I even speaking again as somebody who's in working in a church, like I'm just amazed how often and how easy it is to lose sight of like what the whole point is. Uh, so easy to get caught up in other things. It's so easy to get caught up in the business side of the church. It's so easy to get caught up right in, you know, in in public discussions of, you know, things going on other places, you know, but all of that to me ends up just being a distraction. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I, at least for me, part of it's because I like it. I like building 
systems. I like production. I mean, we just had resonate. We had confetti cannons at the end <laughs> as like a celebration. It was like a special thing, but I, it was a blast, you know, like I loved it. I loved planning it. I loved organizing the teams for it. I loved just making that night happen. It's there's a human. And I think it's a God given desire that we like to build and create and like make yeah. these systems. We like to make things elaborate. I think we enjoy doing that. And I think that's honestly just a reflection of um, the image of God of being a created, uh, of being some kind of creator of some sort, you know, like God has given us the ability to create and to make new. I think that's great. But like you said, Jesse, if you're not on top of it, the creation can replace the creator very quickly. And I right. think, you know, we, I think that we are on the, not me on the verge, but we're really floating with the line of like emphasis put on the point of why we're doing this or the systems that we're creating that are amazing. I mean, some churches have unbelievable programs and systems that really work and that actually are changing lives um, that are doing great things and, and that are strengthening the church. I think of church of the Highlands, like they have so many free resources for other churches to use. And they have like, I think they're, they, they have like 20,000 people and like more than, I think like three quarters are in small groups, which is like great. Hmm. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, wow. Um, so that's like super cool, but you're, you're like one step, you're like one step to the left and like, you forget the whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to wrestle with that and, you know, I, I, I have uh, for a lot of years, not so much now, I, I think I'm getting more comfortable with like knowing how this, where my place is, so to speak. But yeah, we have to be aware that there's always the possibility of just forgetting why we're doing it and getting sucked in just doing it because we enjoy it so much. Yeah. <sighs> yep. <laughs> well, I think we talked about a lot of things tonight. We covered a lot. Joshua Harris, all the way to church culture and confetti cannons. I mean, I'm not sure what more there is to talk about in, in, in general, you know, but I enjoyed having you on, Jesse. It was definitely good. Um, yeah, good times. A lot of fun. Covered a lot. Jordan, it was great. Having you again. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm just saying that to sound polite on air, but behind the scenes, I'm really doing it at all. Um, I know. <laughs> um, everyone thank you for listening to our conversation and tuning in and uh, hope this helps you we love to hear your thoughts have you been um, involved I was I was going to say a victim of your <laughs> Maybe, yeah. that, was, that was way too like over the top but if you've been involved in purity culture we'd love to get your feedback on if our assessment reflects your experience and uh, we appreciate everyone listening thank you so much and we hope you enjoy the rest of your your day or night, whatever you're doing, um, enjoy it. So thank you. Until next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.